Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. How you feel about thee? Hi. What's up? Happy 31st of October. Um, I'm scary sick. Almost yeah. done being scary sick. I'm on the tail end and I've lost my voice, so I am scary as they come. You also look like Lydia Dietz. So. I am dressed like Lydia Dietz right now, so it scares me. Um, cool. We've got some spooky scary stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we got some tales from the chup believe it or not ripley's believe it or not yes um yeah and uh that's all we got oh yeah we've got some kid stories in this one yeah uh yeah i hope you got plenty of candy mm-hmm. we tried to give candy out but mm-hmm. we had one trick-or-treater as per usual we always only have one but yeah, I hope you guys had a really spooky Halloween. Or you're about to because it's Halloween today. Boom. Boop, 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 boop. Enjoy these spooky stories and don't poop your pants while you're listening to them. Put a diaper on. It was 30 years ago, on a calm night, in a small northeast Ohio city, when the darkness beckoned and tried to claim me as its own. I had awoken one night, probably somewhere around the middle of it, for no particular reason. Half sat up in my bed, stared around my fairly large bedroom, saw the comforting glow of the bathroom light through my fully open bedroom door. Cornered with that same bedroom door was the door to my fairly large, deep, dark closet. It's important to know that if one of those doors were open, the other could not be so readily opened the way that they were positioned. I found comfort in this as a child for keeping my bedroom door all the way open ensured that my closet door could not readily be opened by any such weird, dark, malvolent force that may find itself within and wanting to come out. As I sit there, staring around my bedroom, not particularly alarmed by anything, just having woken up casually, the closet door flies open, slamming my bedroom door shut, and keeping it closed from the other side. All I see is darkness. I scream, and I scream, and I scream. I don't think I've ever screamed as I did that night. I didn't know what would be coming out of the closet. I didn't know what was in the closet to begin with, but I didn't like it. My mother eventually woke from my screaming, and came running in to see what the matter could possibly be. She had some difficulty opening my bedroom door, as the closet door had completely sealed it shut and acted almost as a latch 
on the knob from the other side. I didn't move. I just stayed in bed screaming. When she was eventually able to get my door open and come in to see what was happening, all I could do was scream that something was in the closet and that the closet door had flown open. She was very confused, knowing that I never slept with my closet door open, and I always slept with the bedroom door fully open. There was no window in the closet. There was no windows open in my room, nor in the entire apartment for that matter that evening. There was no way that a wind could have pushed open the closet door from the inside, unlatching it, and flying against my bedroom door with such force that it essentially locked my bedroom door. There was nothing visible in the closet. There was nothing visible out of place anywhere other than the violent swinging open of that door. I was terrified to sleep in that room. I didn't want to do it, and I didn't do it, until my aunt, who was of a more spiritual nature, decided to come over and cleanse the house, which she did. I felt somewhat better after that, continued sleeping in my room again, and, to the best of my knowledge, nothing else ever so strange happened in that dwelling. I don't know what it was that could have inspired such an aggressive force. I don't know if something had happened in that apartment. I don't know what it was. I do know that it terrified the ever-living shit out of me and probably stands today as one of the scariest, unexplainable situations in my life. What that darkness wanted, why it was there to begin with, probably won't ever know now. But I've never looked at closet doors quite the same way again. are running through the trenches trying to get to safety before a bombardment of German missiles hit them. After a couple miles of running, they hear a scream. but They look behind them, but no one's gone. Probably just soldiers losing their lives. They continue running until one of them trip. No one pays attention to it, though, because it's raining very heavily. Pretty soon, the trenches start to flood. It was only until then that they realized that one of their squadron group's soldiers were gone. They didn't even know what happened. They tried to go back and try and find him, but whatever they went in the trenches, they couldn't find him. By the time they started heading back, the flooded trenches were already up to their knees. They weren't know, they didn't know if they were gonna make it. Once they got to the first bunker door, they noticed another one of their squadron groups were missing. They tried to look for him. Once again, they could not find him. Now, the water was up to their waist. They got inside the first bunker door and the water started flooding in. They escaped the first checkpoint to head to the main bunker. But it was only then that he realized he was the last one and that the other squadron member 
was missing. He went to go find him, but couldn't find him. He ran back out and tried to run, but this time the water was all the way up to his chest. He didn't know if he was gonna make it. That was until he felt something on his foot. It got him stuck. He thought maybe it was a stick. So he dove underwater trying to get himself unstuck. It wasn't until he realized that it was a hand coming from under the ground. But something about it, it wasn't coming from the dirt. This black ooze all around it. It started dragging him down. He tried escaping and holding his breath as long as possible until eventually he was completely under. He woke up in this black dimension, horrifying. He found the rest of his squadron. Horrified, he made out a big screech. Then he felt a wall behind him. He, he had walked right into a wall. He thought he was safe for now until he felt two pairs of arms grab him and pull him into the wall. So I go to Antioch College, which is, in my opinion, one of the most haunted colleges, at least in Ohio. And one day I was in our library over the summer. I was in the basement of our library, which is where the um, like main books and like the fiction books and like the periodicals and stuff are all kept. And... I was just sitting down there reading. I had been sitting down there for about an hour. And because of the way it's laid out, you can see and you know who's like coming and going in the basement. So I knew there was nobody in the basement with me. And then I hear the sound of a book drop. And so I get up and about three or four aisles away from where I'm sitting, a book has somehow dislodged itself from like one of the higher shelves it was like four or five shelves up so it dislodged itself from up there and then it crashed to the floor and there was nobody else in the basement my second ghost story takes place at my elementary school uh, which was st patrick's elementary school in london ohio um, specifically in the basement, again, of the convent where the nuns used to live. It had been turned into a, um, at this point, it was like latchkey and preschool area. So my mom and I were in the basement after hours, and she had gotten really frustrated and had just let off a big string of curses, like of curse words in the basement. And... Almost immediately afterwards, within like, you know, 10, 20 seconds or so, one of the lights in the hallway fell, like those big aluminum fluorescent lights strips. They were all in the hallway and they were, you know, they lined the hallways and one of them just fell, like with like no explanation, like half of it. So it was kind of just like hanging there, swinging back and forth right after my mom had just said a streak of curses and so we had to you know call in person to get it fixed and they couldn't determine why it fell either 
Headlights spilled across the long, straight dirt road like milk on a table. The sky was pitch black and filled with enough cool haze that none of the stars shone through to illuminate the night. The car rumbled over bumps as small cacti and yucca trees flashed by in her peripherals. There's a soft din of music playing, barely heard over the hum of the car, something somber. She glanced over at him in the driver's seat. His eyes looked tired. He looked at the GPS, searching for signs of the turnoff they needed. Looks like about seven more miles, he said to her, but also to himself. He hadn't been sleeping well. She was right in thinking he looked tired. He was tired, exhausted even. The looming threat of finals was on his mind. The past few weeks had been a fog of harshly lit classes, 12-hour long rotations, libraries, and stale cups of coffee. More than anything, he needed this long weekend away for the Thanksgiving holiday. The car pushed forward across the unending road. They drove on for another minute or so when suddenly the road split off into the span of sand and sagebrush on the right side of the path. An old wooden road sign glowed in the headlights as he slowed the car. Broken Saddle Lane, it read. Already? she asked, turning to face him. He shrugged and twisted the wheel to the side. Hey, I'll take it. I'm wiped. Just about a half mile down, they began approaching a small yellow house with a wide porch. There was a soft glow coming through the sheer curtains in the windows. A large, black number one adorned the front door. As the car brought them closer, he could see the road came to a dead end in a small turnaround next to the house. One broken saddle lane. The only house on the block, she said. After they parked, they braced themselves and opened their car doors, exiting into the icy night. The desert is no stranger to the bone-cold chill of coming winter. Together, they grabbed their duffel bags, pillows, and groceries, loading their arms with goods to avoid a second trip back to the vehicle. With a plastic bag of assorted produce between his teeth, he balanced his load to enter the code on the door. The lights of the keypad flashed green, and he pushed the door open, dropping everything right inside on the rug taking his surroundings. There was a plush brown couch over a woven rug. The coffee table, end tables, and TV stand were all made of thick wooden logs nailed together with glass sheets on top. The lamps glowed a cozy yellow. It was warm and welcoming, unlike the cold night. As he walked deeper into the rental house, she stumbled in the front door, stepped over the items he dropped in place. All at once, everything fell out of her arms and spilled over the rest of their belongings into a big pile. He didn't notice. She shook her head and shut the door behind her. Nice place, he shouted from the other room. She began to gather the groceries in their bags and carried them through to the adjacent kitchen. He was already down the hall, which was dark with no switch. He peeked into the other rooms as he passed by. A bathroom, a closet. Finally, at the end, a bedroom. Switching on the light, he examined the bed, made of the same thick wood as the living room furniture the same end tables, the same lamp. A flannel quilt covered the bed, and he brushed his hand along, testing the plushness of the bed. He heard the refrigerator clang shut, the sound of old pickle jars knocking against bottles of ketchup and soy sauce. For a moment, he thought he should go help her, but he also wrestled with the inviting comfort the bed offered. After milliseconds of self-debate, he made his way to the door of the bedroom. Coming to help, he shouted, flicking the bedroom light back off and then making his way down the hallway to the kitchen. When he entered the kitchen, she wasn't there. 
Rubbing the exhaustion from his eyes, he took a few steps through the kitchen and back into the living room. By the doorway, the belongings they brought laid in a heap. A brown canvas duffel bag, her pillow with a pink pillowcase, a paper grocery bag full of games like chess and decks of cards. He scanned the room and she wasn't there. Confused, he turned around, looking back into the kitchen, empty. Laura? He called out. No answer. His tired eyes must be deceiving him. Going back through the house, he entered every room, switched on every light. She wasn't there. He went back to the front of the house, kicking their luggage out of the way with his foot, and opened the door. He scanned the porch and the driveway, but she wasn't there. Stepping back out into the night, he craned his neck to look around the car. It was dark and the doors were shut. Laura! He shouted loud, his pulse starting to quicken. Unsure of what to do, he stood on the porch, looking out at the void around them. The minimal light from the house showed a flat yard with sagebrush, desert agave, and a sparse Joshua tree. From what he could tell, there were no other houses nearby, just a vast expanse of land that slowly merged into mountains of miles and miles away. He could see his breath flow into black sky and a shiver went through him. Turning, he went back into the house and shut the door. Where could she be? He thought. He sat on the couch dumbfounded. A mix of anxiety and fatigue washed over him as his head began to spin. He pulled his cell phone out of his pocket and found her in his contact list. Lovely Laura, it said. The phone rang and he heard a vibration behind him. The jittering came from her purse, which was slouching against the wall by the door. He clicked the red button and ended the call. He knew he should get up, search the house again, but he couldn't. Something paralyzed him. Maybe it was the utter silence of the house around him. Maybe it was the way the couch hugged him, making him feel safer than the idea of standing up to walk. Maybe it was the way the light suddenly felt so warm, as if the room was buzzing with an orange hue. Get up, he told himself, but he just couldn't. He woke suddenly while his eyes were still closed. Light began to seep through his eyelids. To his left, he heard a clock ticking heavily on the end table. His eyes opened. He was in the rental house. Laura, what happened? Outside, the sun was approaching the horizon, but it hadn't quite arrived, causing a barely luminous lavender sky. His mouth was dry from hanging open all night. Pulling himself off the couch, his bones creaked, and he stretched sore muscles. Looking around, nothing about the room had changed really, but everything seemed softer and more inviting. He made his way to the kitchen. He knew he should feel a sense of urgency about Laura being missing, but he didn't. He felt refreshed from his night of sleep, something he hadn't felt in a long time. Very refreshed and very thirsty. Retrieving a glass from the cabinet, he glanced out the small kitchen window over the sink. Mountains sprawled across the horizon, just barely shadows. It was Thanksgiving Day. The air smelled fresh and the day was going to be beautiful. He opened the fridge, wishing to fill his glass with some orange juice they'd bought at the market the day before. The door swung all the way open, the jars and condiments rattling loudly, echoing through the kitchen as a cold hand slipped out and dangled over the bottom shelf. He dropped the glass, shattering it on the floor. Laura. I saw a demon in my closet.
in my mom's closet, mm-hmm. and then two, I've been waking up and freaking out so much. My mom checked the closet and there was nothing there. But every time I looked in the closet, I saw I saw like a ghost floating in the corner, peeking and one by the window. Over the course of a few months, Mia kept having nightmares, and so she would come down to sleep in my room. And it got to the point where she was even having really bad dreams sleeping in my room, and typically when she would sleep with me, she would just sleep all night. But she started waking up and like freaking out in the middle of the night and like looking towards the closet, and she would ask to sleep over on my side because that's Mike's side of the bed. And I'm like, what's, like, there's nothing in there, what's wrong? And I would, like, turn the light on and everything, and she would be like, there's something in there. And, like, there is nothing in the closet, it's just a dream, like, calm down. And she's like, no, there's something in there. And I'm like, well, what does it look like? And she's like, well, he's tall, and he's, he's black, and his face is covered in blood, and he has fangs. And I'm like, okay, where is he? Well, our closet is L-shaped, and she's like, well, he's peeking around the corner. (gasps) And I was like, okay, that's really creepy. It's just a dream. You know, like, there's nothing there. We walked in there with the light on, whatever. So she only told me this. Mike was working, had no idea. So two nights later, Mike tells me, I've been having this really bad dream. And I'm like, about what? And he's like, something in our closet. And I'm like, holy shit, like, what in our closet? And he's like, like, this demon-looking thing. And I was like, can you describe it? And he, like, describes it almost exactly how Mia does, bloody face. But he said there was a rope around it. And I'm like, where in the closet is it? Peeking around the corner. And I'm like, interesting. So I'm like, okay, I'm the one who's all into this stuff. I'm going to try to get rid of this thing, right? So I do a cleansing, I sage the basement, I get my moon water, I bless it, you know, I go around and I'm telling this thing to get out of my house, it's not welcome, it has no business here, you know, this is a house of positivity, I won't tolerate negative energy, all this, I'm burning candles, Um, I burn a few choice herbs, and I go to sleep. I wake up that next morning feeling like completely light, relieved and everything, but I have a bruise on my arm in the shape of a three. Anybody Uh who knows anything about demonology knows that they're obsessed with the number three because it's a mockery of the Holy Trinity, Mm. which is why there's a lot of like negative entity sightings around like three o'clock in the morning. And just the number three comes up a lot when you're talking about this kind of thing. So... That stayed on my arm for about three days, and then it was gone. And I haven't had anything happen down there again since I cleansed it. But recently, there's been a few things happening, and this was like months ago. Maybe, it was right after I started work, so maybe May that it happened. When we had nothing since then until like this last week. And... 
So I'm downstairs watching my murder documentaries, H.H. Holmes, you know, whatever. And I hear this clicking noise. It's like a... Okay. And I'm like, that's that's weird. So I turn off the TV and then I hear R2-D2 sounds. Well, I have an R2-D2 bubble machine that clicks when it dips into the bubbles and then it makes the beeping noises. It was on the porch. It was 1030 at night. So I open the window down there and look out, see if anybody's on the porch. No, no animals. Nothing like bumped it. And it cycles through and then turns off. Well, it wasn't cycling through. It just kept going. So I come upstairs, check on the kids. They're all sleeping. Luke's awake. And I'm like, are you messing with me? Like, did you go out there and push that? And he's like, no. He's like, I didn't hear it. And I'm like, well, it's on the porch. Like, I'm going to go turn it off. He's like, you're, you're going to get murdered. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's a I'm not. No. I'm like, I'm just going to go turn it off. And so he's like, well, give me your phone. I'll call 911 if you, somebody pulls you out there. I was like, okay, fine. So bring it in, take out the batteries, and just set it down. And he's just like, if that turns back on, I'm going to yeet it out the window. But nothing came of that. But it was just weird because we've had that for a good five, six years, and it's never turned on by itself. So. Weird. You, you think something's coming back in or trying to come back in? Because it was outside. So. It was outside, yeah. but then Michael was home by himself, and he was doing his plant check, you know, and the fire alarm started going off by itself. And all of the um, clocks turned off like the power had went out, but the lights didn't flicker at all. So that was another thing that all happened this week. So I'm not what? sure. Uh-huh. Do you have to re-sage at some point? Like, is it... I is... did sage the house after the R2-D2 thing because yeah. Mia had been having nightmares again. Huh. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested in, like, how long, if saging does truly cleanse, like, it, how often you have to re-up it. I don't know. I don't... I feel like sometimes it doesn't even do the trick. It depends on how strong the thing is. You, know, yeah. you read about these kind of things and you have, like, full-on trained professionals performing exorcisms and it doesn't get rid of whatever is there so i think a lot of it has to do with the strength of whatever you're fighting and your own personal strength i feel like i'm gonna have to follow up with you in like another month to see what happens (laughs) because i feel like it's coming i mean i don't want to jinx it and say something's coming back but it sounds like you're gonna have to like re-sage well yeah and also like i'm moving and so i'm like first thing i'm doing when i get the keys is i'm going and cleansing the house because i have no idea who lived there before you know it's an apartment or what's going to attach to something in in what you're taking right and also i've gotten a lot of like hand-me-down furniture from people so like sure i don't know what any of that entails and i just want to start with a clean slate so He was supposed to be dead. The doctors called his time of death as soon as he arrived to the ER at 8.04 p.m. on September 25, 2009. Gunshot wound to the head, no heart or brain activity detected. It was completely devastating. No matter how much despair you see working as a nurse in a level one trauma center, when a young, otherwise healthy adult is brought to the ER already deceased, you become crippled with solemn, especially when there was nothing you could do to prevent their death. Dead on arrival, no further life-saving measures needed. He was placed in a body bag and wheeled to the morgue. 
His family had already been contacted and they were making arrangements with a local funeral home for pickup in the morning. Another life gone too soon, but just one hour into my shift that night. It's an odd feeling to have to continue on with work after something so traumatic has happened, but this is the life we all chose working in a hospital. On to the next one. It was a pretty busy night, a couple broken bones, car accidents, and stabbings, the usual. My main role was to check on the patients, administer meds, get them warm blankets, and just make sure they were comfortable while waiting for the physician. Pretty status quo. Well, that was until they showed up. Two men in all black, head to toe, wearing matching black pea coats and black leather gloves. They were asking about the man who was brought in earlier, the one who was dead. They said they were his colleagues and that they had something they needed to give him. Trying to respect the man's family and comply with HIPAA, I didn't tell them that he had arrived dead. I couldn't even confirm that he had made it to the hospital, but I could tell somehow they already knew. They were insistent that they give him this small gold coin. They said it was to protect him. When I told them that I couldn't help them and that they had to leave, they just set the coin down and said that if I was able to give it to him, please do. They said if I couldn't give it to him, then the coin could be mine. And then they left. Pretty weird, but they're not the first set of sketchy characters to have come into the ER, so I put the coin in my pocket and moved on with my night. I kept thinking about that coin, though, and decided that I would go down to the morgue later on and stick it with his body. It honestly just kind of creeped me out, and I wasn't sure what else to do with it. My supervisor said that was okay, but I had to wait to do it until the ER calmed down. At last, I finally got a moment to myself, 3.33 a.m. I could finally run to the morgue and hand off this coin to the dead man. Trying to avoid getting interrupted again, I took the back staircase down to the basement of the hospital. Nobody ever uses the back staircase, not since a couple of the light bulbs burnt out. I didn't mind the dark, though. It felt comforting to me. I'd seen worse in the light anyways. I made my way to the morgue and pried open the heavy steel door. I always found it odd that the room that held only dead bodies had the sturdiest and most difficult door to open. It's not like they were going to escape or something. I got inside expecting to see the techs who were working in that room, but nobody was there. They must have been on break. I looked around trying to find my guy, and there was his name in drawer three. I pulled open the drawer with my head half facing the opening. I was a little worried that his bag might be unzipped. I couldn't see anything at first, so I fully turned my head to look inside, but he wasn't there. The drawer was empty. This wasn't the first time that had happened, though. Maybe they took him somewhere, possibly some sort of processing they forgot to do. I figured I would just wait until the tech came back from their break and ask them where he was then. The morgue was so cold, I couldn't imagine having to work down there all the time. I grabbed a blanket off a nearby gurney and wrapped it around myself, waiting and waiting. I was shivering, and my fingertips were starting to turn blue. That wasn't uncommon for me, though. I decided to hop onto the gurney and sit with my feet dangling in the air, side to side and then back and forth. I started to get a splitting headache, probably from all the stress. I laid down on the gurney. I thought shutting my eyes for a moment might help with the headache. It was so cold, and I drifted off. Hours later, I woke up on the gurney by one of the techs who had finally returned to the morgue. I must have drifted off after I laid down. I'm surprised no one had come looking for me. I asked the tech about the guy and where he may have gone, and their eyes widened. He was supposed to be in the morgue. They ran over to his drawer, finding it empty, and immediately called their boss. The entire hospital went into lockdown looking for this guy, but he was never found. 
CCTV showed him being brought into the morgue, but never being taken out. The man's colleagues who came to bring him that gold coin, they were seen on CCTV talking to me, but couldn't be found anywhere else on footage around the hospital. To this day, nobody knows what happened to the man or where he ended up. The other weird thing is that his family never even reached out to the hospital to inquire about him. No funeral home ever showed up to gather his remains. It's like he never even existed. There are rumors and theories in the hospital that maybe the man was never dead. Maybe he got up and snuck out of the morgue somehow. Those two guys who claimed to be his colleagues, maybe they were actually bad people who had intentions to hurt him and and now he's on the run. It's hard to say, and there's truly no way to know now. The hospital has installed a better lock and security system in the morgue now with hopes that no other bodies can escape again. So all we can do now is live with our assumptions and hope that it'll never happen again. was on a walk and he saw someone he said hi but no response so he said hello but there was a response the answer was ah Yikes. <laughs> Were you scared? Yeah, I was really scared. Phoebe looks scared. Oy boy. Wow. I need a I need a palate cleanser after that. Yeah. Well, you're not gonna get one. Um so what we didn't put in uh currently uh well uh, well I'll put it after the outro, mm-hmm. but um so after Candace's story we went into the basement of her house and did uh some EVP stuff. I always thought it was bullshit, but you decide. Um, I put it at the end just because I didn't want to blow anybody's speakers mm-hmm. out and I didn't want to come in between the spooky stories, but um, I enhanced some lower frequencies, so just be careful when listening <laughs> to it. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, I was sitting some here demon sounds. editing this and almost like crying because it was kind of spooky like there's a call and response to it so yeah there's a lot of um, whoop whoops whoop, 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 whoop. yeah thanks to candace mm-hmm. luke mm-hmm. mia mm-hmm. beazelbub beazelbub don't say that alex <laughs> uh michael june carrie carrie you myself you have a great reading voice thank you Happy Halloween. Have a wonderful spooky season. And just know that Halloween is every day and it's not over. It's just the beginning until next year. <laughs> Good night. Sleep tight. Don't let the bed. Love you. Bye.
this house or about you being here. 